0: That was hard, wasn't it? <laughs> that was hard. That was just 30 seconds of silence. Well, you tried to be silent. Thanks for saying good morning to me, by the way. I appreciate that. That was just 30 seconds of silence. Silence can be so difficult to do. Um, I watched my wife. I think she was squirming the entire time. I was just standing there doing nothing, essentially. But how many of you always have a podcast podcast or some kind of music playing in the background while you're at home. How many of you sleep with the TV on, or have some kind of white noise? I looked this up. Did you know? That? Everyone over here, did you know that an LG survey released said that 61% of Americans sleep with the TV on, or they fall asleep with the TV on? Did you know that? scientifically silence can actually be good for your health? Ten minutes of silence at bedtime, can actually help you wind down and fall asleep faster. It can lower your blood pressure, and over time, it can make you a more patient person. We have Apple Watches today that they'll tell us to breathe or to practice mindfulness. Scientists say that it's not so much the silence that does something, but rather, it's the Reduction of sensory input that helps us to wind down better. There's an American composer by the name of John Cage, and in 1952, he premiered a piece called 4 Minutes and 33 Seconds. I learned about this while I was going to music school. And what happened was he had his piano performer named David Tudor go out onto stage and sit down at the piano. He was getting ready to play, and he closes the piano lid and he just sits there. For four minutes and 33 seconds, he just sits there and does nothing. If you were an audience member, wouldn't you feel gypped? <laughs> like, I, can't, I paid good money to come here and listen to some music, and this guy's not doing anything. They felt maybe um, ripped off or cheated that they missed out on experience, when in reality, John Cage had actually done that intentionally. Because if you stopped and listened, you'd hear The subtle sounds of whispers in the background. People are trying to figure out what's going on. Maybe you'd hear the creak of a chair as someone's kind of getting unsettled. And maybe more awkwardly, you'd hear people breathing kind of in the background. That was the experience that John Cage had intended for his audience. But because their expectation had been set up beforehand, they missed the composer's intentions for the experience. They became impatient, and they missed out. Personally, I think that it's a lack of being comfortable with silence or stillness that has also made us collectively into impatient people. That unless we're listening to something, doing something, posting something on social media, then we're either missing out, we're messing up opportunities, or we're being ineffective or inefficient. Silence may be something that we all long for, especially this time of year. Maybe some of you would rather be doing less than having to work really hard to prepare for the holiday weekend that's coming up. And yet, silence is also worrisome for us. We don't like stress, but we also don't like stillness and silence. So let's be honest. You fire a text to somebody and you get left on read. Ooh. You get that little message that says, read at, insert time here. Well, that was four hours ago. What are they up to? What are they doing? Did they forget about me? Do they have other friends? Am I not a big deal to them anymore? People don't like being forgotten. I think that's just a true thing about our nature. And here's something crazy. Did you know that God left his people on red for like 400 years? That's crazy. Four centuries Sixteen generations of people. Now this is the time between the Old Testament, uh, the end of the Old Testament, and the beginning of the New Testament that I'm talking about. This is often referred to as the intertestamental period. There was no prophet from God. There was no voice from heaven. There was no visible manifestation of God, just utter silence from him. Sixteen generations of people passing on faith and hope in the midst of silence. That'd be like if you were alive at the time of Jesus, and you were telling your children about how your great, 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 great grandfather heard about Malachi talking about the coming Messiah. So hopeful, and maybe you'd begin to wonder, "Hey, are you sure about that? 400 years ago?" Only get a silence. I would venture to guess that God's people maybe got very concerned. He used to talk to us all the time, this God guy. I mean, he'd usually tell us that we were idiots and that we were doing things wrong, but at least he talked to us, gave us some updates. You know, maybe the reason that we feel this tension in our own lives, and even with the Israelites, is I think that we hear about a God that is supposed to care, and yet at times it can seem like he doesn't, because shouldn't... Shouldn't we see something happening? Shouldn't we feel something happening in our lives as we approach God in faith? I think we can begin to ask, what's up with this? Does God not care? Does God not see what's going on? Because I feel like I'm just coming up on closed door after closed door. Have you ever been there? Has God, do you ever feel like God has left you on red? What are we supposed to do that with that? What do we do with the quiet period? As we're continuing in our Christmas series today, I want to remind you that Christmas is God's kingdom coming to life. We've talked about peace and hope in our first two weeks of this series, but today we're going to talk about love. Specifically, that God's love is present even when it seems like God is silent. That in some way, silence from God typically means anything but a lack of his love. We're going to turn to the book of Malachi this morning. This is the last book of the Old Testament. There's no better way to see how to trust God in the midst of silence than the words that God gave his people before the 400 years of waiting. There's a man by the name of Malachi, he's chosen to be a prophet by God, and he's in line with a whole group of minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament. Malachi, in particular, he's writing to warn the people of God, this is ancient Israel, about how they've questioned God's love for them. And he compels them to stay rooted in what God has done and said in the past as the proof for his faithfulness moving forward. We're going to start in Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. It says, I have loved you says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob. Not to oversimplify it, but here's the gist of the conversation. God's saying, hey Israel, I love you. And Israel's like, how? And God's saying, well, just look backwards. Remember my faithfulness to you. When you... I, what I find encouraging here is that Malachi's first thing that he wants to communicate through God is that, uh, "I love you. God says, "I love you. You are my people. I've not forgotten you." Now there was a lot to not love about Israel at this time. They were actually getting a lot of things wrong. That's kind of why Malachi's writing. Malachi is writing that they're, they're, they are failing to offer proper sacrifices to God. He's writing to say, "Hey, your leaders and priests, they're really focused on themselves divorce is kind of rampant among you, unfaithfulness is becoming the trend. He's also saying that injustice is everywhere. Hey, Israel, you're not tithing out of obedience to God. In fact, your arrogance, you're wearing it like a badge of honor. And Malachi says, need I go on? You're kind of getting this wrong. To which some of us might think, reading this list, hmm, not a lot has changed. It's kind of weird. I think Israel assumed that God was really mad. Well, God's given up. He's moved on. He's chosen somebody else. We're too messed up. God's not just left us on red. He's ghosting us now. God's words through Malachi are this. I have loved you. Israel says, God, it feels like you've moved on. We're not seeing or hearing from you. And God's like, I've shown you so many times. I've told you over and over again. I love you. I'm not going to leave you. I won't abandon you. How many times do I have to remind you, says God? So I kind of have a stoic face, except right now I'm being really animated. But normally when I'm talking to people, my face is pretty consistent. This gets me in trouble sometimes. Uh, You might call it resting jerk face. But at home, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm I'm not a mean guy, but my face kind of betrays me. So oftentimes my wife, Olivia, uh, we've been married for uh, almost a year now, coming up on one year of marriage on January third. And at home, sometimes, thank you. Sometimes she'll look at me uh, and be like, "Hey, uh, are we okay? Are you good?" And I'll go, "Oh, yeah, sure, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I love you. Yeah, nothing doesn't matter. No, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with reminding her that I'm fine because I know that about my face it betrays me. It gets me in trouble sometimes, but." I don't ever grow tired of reminding her that I love her, that I'm okay. And even when I don't have the words to tell her that, she can still trust my character. She can still trust my actions that I've performed for her in the past. And she can still trust my words that I've given her before. The truth is, when life feels darkest, that's actually when God is nearest and he wants to remind us of his love. Because it's a chance for us to trust his love that he has already declared and shown to us. I think many people confuse the problems of life with losing God's favor. Many people confuse hardships with God's disapproval. Many people confuse God's silence with his abandonment. I became a Christian in 2012. Um, I started following Jesus. I got baptized in 2013. I felt like it was... next step from you of of, of obedience and following Jesus. And, you know, I kind of had a, I was appreciative of the simple faith that I had. I didn't have everything figured out, and I was really, really okay with that. You know, about a year, though, into my relationship with God, I discovered that I had a lot of questions about Jesus. I wasn't really sure about him anymore, and I had some conversations with other believers, and unfortunately, um, at the time, many of them, maybe maybe they misunderstood me, and they turned me away for some reason, saying it wasn't a big deal what I was talking about, or if they did give me an answer, it just felt like it was kind of incomplete. And at this time, I began to doubt. I went into this season of just kind of crippling doubt, and I began to wonder, like, if my faith even made sense. I was ready to abandon it. I was ready to give it up. I was ready to walk away from the faith that I had been given. I was ready to just... abandoned the simple faith that I had been given. And all all this time, I'm just wondering, God, why don't you give me an answer here? I'm trying to figure this out, God. Can you throw me a bone? I'm trying to serve you, but I'm about to leave you. Don't you care? I wanted to run from God, and I wanted to give up. But for some reason, I chose trust. And here's what I've learned from it. It's that God's silence doesn't mean he is absent. God's silence doesn't mean he is absent. Often when you feel like you're the furthest from God, God is actually much nearer to, to you than you realize. For Israel, the next 400 years will be very silent from God. While all this is going on, the tension is building for a prophecy of a Messiah, that's Jesus, to come. And yet, Israel begins to show their cards. Turn to Malachi chapter 3, 4. 13 through 15, we will pick up there. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly, evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test... They get away with it. Basically saying, what difference does it make following after God? Those who grab life by the horns and make their own destiny, they get ahead in life. What we're doing, it's futile. I don't feel like following God is getting us anywhere, Mr. Malachi. Look at the people who mock and reject God, and they still have the luxuries of life. What's up with that then? And so at this point, I think Malachi is kind of pulling his hair out, and he's like... God, I get it. I get it. They've reduced their relationship with you to two things. Feelings and financial gain. Well, if you think that following Jesus is about achieving a certain spiritual high or certain feelings or having a financially blessed life, then I think that it certainly will be futile. It certainly will be pointless. Because, well, God, there's too much hardship and inconvenience, and my life is hard. Or there's too much... Pain or disease. There's too much injustice. Or God, you're just too silent. You've clearly forgotten about me. You don't love me anymore. You've got to be gone. I've got to tell you, I think that's more akin to karma than it is to Christianity. Because, oh, I guess God's punishing me for being bad. Well, maybe I should do something good to make God okay at me. I just, that's not what Scripture teaches. God doesn't cause pain based on performance. Our whole faith is founded on the truth that the worst possible thing, the crucifixion, happened to the best possible person. This is Jesus, the perfect son of God. And then we somehow believe that it will be different for us. Our good or bad behavior doesn't result in good or bad treatment from God when God's default response to us is grace through his love. This is why we can't let our faith be simply reduced to receiving a good feeling or just receiving a blessing because that makes, that makes it a transaction. Not faith. Not trust. This is why I think that when faith becomes a formality, we can slowly begin to drift away from God. We lose sight of God. We actually lose what we have in Jesus. And it's not surprising then that we may begin to wonder where God has gone. If we have a wrong idea about God's presence and God's love, a lot of us, no matter how good and faithful God has been, our feelings can begin to usurp what we know to be true about Him. I went to Bible college, and while I was in Bible college, I went on this thing called a spiritual formation retreat, which is the most Bible college thing I will ever say on stage. And while at the spiritual formation retreat, It was about a five-day ordeal. I'm going to move things around here on my table. It was a five-day ordeal, and during the spiritual formation retreat, many of my classmates and I went out to a local camp, and we were with some professors who helped us understand a deeper meaning of Scripture, engaging in prayer and other spiritual disciplines. On one of the days, we did a little checkup on how we were doing. The professor lit a candle and set it in the middle of a circle that he had drawn on the floor. He puts his candle here, and he hands us all little tea lights. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to light your candle, and I want you to place it within this circle, within the bounds of the circle, how close you feel to Jesus right now, in this very moment. Some people, they took their candle, they put it right up against that candle right there, representing Jesus, and we were like, wow, you guys are so holy. Some people took their candle, you know, they put it somewhere in between the outer, the outer edge and in the middle, explaining maybe why their faith was growing, explaining maybe why uh, their faith was dwindling a little bit, maybe why they were feeling discouraged in this season. And one person that comes, I can picture his face right now as he's doing this, he takes his candle and he sets it at the furthest possible edge in the circle. And we just kind of sat there in silence for a while. Our professor thanked us for participating. He said, Hey, thanks for sharing kind of where you guys have been, where you guys are at today. But I wanted to remind you of something. Sometimes I feel like we can feel distant from Jesus, like he's abandoned us, like he's beckoning us and telling us, Hey, get over here. You better get it right. You better come to me. I see you, my eyes on you. I'm checking everything you're doing. He's more of a rule keeper. When in reality, Jesus, he took the candle, he placed it next to the one that was furthest away from the center of the circle, and he said, Jesus is willing to meet us in our depths, in the silence, in the waiting, and he is walking with us every step of the way as he guides us and walks us to where he wants us to be. The point is this. God does not abandon his people. Even when we drift from God or even when we feel far from God, God is still with us. God will literally move mountains to be beside us. He wants to draw us into himself. That is his desire. He doesn't keep us out on our own. He doesn't leave us to our own devices. He meets us where we're at, and he draws us into himself. Our God does not abandon us. He meets us in the silence. His love is always present. Even when we begin to drift, I want you to know this. This is also natural for the Christian life. It happens. I mean, ideally, our desire should be to not drift, but it happens, and God is close to us even then. And Malachi will remind us that there are some who even don't drift, and that's okay too. We're going to pick up at Malachi chapter 3 again, verses 16 through 18. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. So God clearly makes a distinction between those who serve him and those who serve themselves, especially during seasons of quiet and silence. The faithful will be God's people. Those who are resilient in their pursuit of God amidst the ties of life, they will be blessed by the Lord. Let me ask it this way. How should we handle waiting on God? It's said that you shouldn't waste a good crisis. Well, as Christians, I think we can say, hey, don't waste a good waiting period. Because in the waiting, it's not a passive thing. It's something that God is actively asking us to participate in. How many of you guys have ever done a Tough mutter, Or a Spartan race? Or a ma- marathon? Anybody? Anybody? Us glutton for punishment? Okay, cool. No. This, the, the Tough mutter is this 10-mile race with uh, 25 obstacles during it. So it's kind of a physically strenuous activity. And my wife, my wife, Olivia, wanted to go on this Tough Mudder race with her father, her aunt, and her cousin named Campbell. And so for the months leading up to it, um, they're all training and getting ready for this race. And the morning of the Tough Mudder, uh, Campbell rolls out of bed and is like, didn't train at all for this thing. He's like, yeah, I'm ready to do this. Cold turkey, let's go. So they start the race, and they get seven miles in. It's been good up to this point, and so they're all running, like moving along, and they're like, "Where's Campbell?" They look over their shoulder, and he's like laying on the ground, like reeling in pain from a Charlie horse he's got. And so, what do they? Well, they turn around, they go and like you know, they, they, they. Help him out. Massage his leg. Get the charley horse out. They give him a banana, and you know they go on their merry way. And they ended up finishing the race. It was good. It was fine. It was a fun experience. But I can't help but wonder if Campbell would have like ran like a mile a day, like if he would have had mar- a marginally better experience with his race. You could say that maybe the months leading up to the race that he knew about there was a period of waiting. It was a period of preparing. Because waiting for something, it should not be sedentary. It should be active. We have a role in our waiting, and I believe that we will only lose something in the waiting period if we believe that we're going to lose something through waiting. When God seems silent, I want you to remind yourself this, that his love is present. He is sustaining you right here and right now, and he wants to He wants you to trust his presence and continue to act on your faith. We don't just give up when it feels like God has abandoned us because we can reflect on his promises in Jesus. When it feels like God has moved on, we can reassure ourselves that he is with us. After 400 years of waiting, Jesus was delivered to his people. After 700 years of waiting on the prophecy of Isaiah, Jesus arrives Waiting is a big part of our faith. Because waiting, it's in our spiritual DNA, you might say. Because God's people, they're always waiting patiently for God to act again on their behalf. Waiting on God, it feels most difficult, I believe, when we make it about our feelings, our plans, our desires. I didn't feel Jesus this weekend at church, so my faith must be bankrupt. I didn't feel moved to be generous, so I probably shouldn't do it. I I didn't feel God's presence in my prayers, so maybe he's given up on me. I must be a failure. Maybe I'm not trying hard enough, and I have to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. Silence should not make us salty towards God, but rather stronger in our hope. So what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for a promotion? Are you waiting for family to come back to you? Are you waiting for family to accept you? Are you waiting for justice? For healing? Are you waiting for peace? What are you waiting for? Are you just waiting on an answer? I'm not sure what you may be waiting for. And God may seem silent. But there's the chance to truly experience the love of God as we wait for him to move. Because I believe that God does his good work in us while we wait. It's not just about the mountaintop moments. I believe it's in the waiting because that's where we develop hope and trust in the power of his love and he affects us. Kind of like a silent song that lasts four minutes and 33 seconds. We might be impatient people, but God is always present. Well, Aaron, how do I know that God won't forget about me? Well, glad you asked. Let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah 49, you can flip there right quick. Um, this is verse 16. This is really short, though. Um, it says, I will not forget you, just before. See, I have engraved you on the palm of, of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Now, I don't have any tattoos, but this is kind of the premise. Usually people who have tattoos, they have a story behind why they got it. It means something to them. It's significant. God has not forgotten us because like a tattoo on his hand, like an engraving on his hand, our names are ever before him. He has not abandoned us. He cares for us. Therefore, God has told you that he loves you and he has proven his love for you time and time again. And no greater example we have than by Christmas. His son, born to be the savior of the world. God delivered on his promise. God with us. Emmanuel, this name of God, means that he has not forgotten us. He is right here with us in the midst of life. I want to encourage you guys with something. When God seems silent, maybe it's time to put the world on mute. Don't listen to that voice in your head that says God has forgotten you because as you've seen it's not true. That voice that says, he's moved on. All you see is struggle, and that's because he's left you on red. It's because he's silent. He says that you're his, but he's not. Push all that out of the way and simply declare, I know that's false, because I have faith in Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. God is with me. And even when God feels silent, I know that his love is with me. His love is present. Serving God in the silence for us is a sign of Faith Faith means that we don't always see or feel what God is up to, but we can trust that he is working because we know that he is. And clearly, someone has kept on worshiping because the ancient believers, they survived until the time of Jesus, as Scripture tells us. 400 years, four centuries, 16 generations, and the truth and faithfulness to God was still on the move. I have revealed my love to you, God says. I simply ask that you remember it and remain faithful. So, what does God do in our waiting? I told you a story about kind of how I came to faith and the season of doubt that, I came, that came afterwards. and It was hard. I was ready to walk away from the faith that I had and it seemed like nobody was going to help me, but I stayed faithful, I stayed true. I continued going to church and I kept asking annoying questions until somebody finally answered me. I got some answers and those same people helped me rebuild this fractured faith that I had. I think what I had lamented was losing something that was so simple maybe, this faith that I had. I think I had wanted to fight so hard to get back to what I had before. The comfort, maybe the naivete, the simplicity of just accepting what had been handed to me that I neglected to notice what God was doing through me as he wanted to move forward with me in the waiting, in the silence. He wanted to grow me. Giving up would have been easy, but instead I pressed into others. I pressed into God and I kept going. And now, that period of my life is something that I can look back on and say, God was at work here. That has become for me a story in which I can look back and say, Lord, you have revealed your love to me and I am choosing to remember it. As you have done before, I trust that you will do it again. What can you look back on in your life and say, God was at work here. God has been here. God always delivers on his promises. And this is best shown to us through perhaps one of the best Christmas passages. So as we close this morning, I want to read from John three sixteen and 17. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God proved good on his promise to his people through the love of Jesus. When Israel was waiting, God delivered. What God had done before, they were able to look at and say, he would do it again. The same is true with us. His love is present with us, even as he seems silent. What God has done for us before, we believe that he can do it again. His love is present. This morning, we're going to respond in worship, saying that we trust him with all that we are, knowing that he's on the move. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will always act on our behalf. Would you stand this morning as we respond by singing together?